You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Chris O'Brien, we've seen some really strange reviews over the past few months at iTunes. One says that I keep using the phrase, UFOs are here to make us think. Do I say it that often? Uh, not to my knowledge. I don't quite recall that particular phrase coming out of your mouth too many times. I mean, it's it's a good one, but so what? It, it, does our reviewer have a problem with uh, you stating the obvious maybe once or twice? I, I, I Maybe I should start saying it more. I'll tell you what, I'll use the word trickster, which is the other criticism, by the way. They say you use the word trickster all the time. I haven't used that word in uh, I don't know how many shows, Gene. (laughs) You see, you know, what it is here is that the whole area of reviews, Amazon, iTunes, etc. The problem is here when you have an open review system is a good thing about it. It allows individuals to evaluate what they think of a product. It also allows the companies who make those products to put up their own reviews. The rivals of that product or service will put up their negative reviews. They'll tear you down. And I kind of think here that with the success of the Paracast, especially in the last year when we're heard on the GCN radio network, we're in New York, Atlanta, we just added a station in Illinois, as a matter of fact, with all that success, we have a lot of people out there who wish they had a network deal, so they find ways to try to criticize us. So, for example, they criticize the amount of ads we run. Now, As most of you know, network radio is free. How do you pay the bills? You have ads. The number of ads we run is the same as hundreds of other talk radio shows in the U.S. It's the same, as a matter of fact, as Coast to Coast AM, the same as Rush Limbaugh, the same as Randy Rhodes. And the reason I mention Limbaugh and Rhodes is because this way it's not a political favoritism. Randy Rhodes is a liberal. Rush Limbaugh is a conservative. It doesn't matter. That's how the business works. When we have a podcast version of the show, it's the same thing. We have to run those commercials. That's our contract. No commercials. They don't get paid. They don't carry the show. And we're back to where we started. Well, it seems I think it seems like a lot more commercials because uh, a number of the commercials are very short. They're only 15 seconds. Right. The actual amount of time devoted to commercials remains the same. It just seems like there's more because some of them are shorter. So you got to deal with it and just fast forward past it if, if it's a problem. You know, I don't have any gold to sell. I, I already have a water filter. You know, I, I don't carry concealed uh, handguns. Uh, what know. about having special pills to protect you from radiation? Oh, I haven't heard that one. Um, I just eat a lot of nori. And I'm not talking George either. I'm talking seaweed. But wait a minute. Where does that seaweed come from? Uh-oh. Oh, well, we're in trouble now. Well, most of the ads, of course, are of things that can help better your life, better your finances. You know, it teaches you to have a healthy lifestyle, for example, health food. Okay, what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with being healthier, living longer. What's wrong with investing in things that might increase your net worth? You know, gold is a good area where people can invest and maybe make a lot of money. Some people have made an awful lot of money. So that's one area. You need insurance, okay? So someone says, get life insurance, okay? You want to protect your loved ones. You're gone. You want them to be stuck with all the bills you left? So you get life insurance. You get health insurance. 
You get auto insurance. All of these things are things that you might need. If you don't need them, fine, don't buy them. No one stops you. What about backup services like Carbonite is one of our advertising partners. Carbonite offers online backup for your stuff on your Mac or your PC. What happens if your computer's drive fails and you don't have a backup? Or or like I did last week, accidentally erase 31 of my most important folders, which I'm still trying to... uh Recollate after I had to unempty my trash. Oh man, uh, don't even get me going on that one, Gene. That hasn't happened to me in quite quite some time. We have to get you set up with Carbonite. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. There's another product that uh, you know I could have probably used if I had listened to those commercials, especially the ones that we run. And by the way, that's one of our advertisers. By the way, my son was able to recover his files. His hard drive on his MacBook failed. They couldn't bring the data back. He had an online backup. And so in a few hours, he was totally restored. So there you go. Well, we have a commercial. (laughs) Hey, you have a commercial, too. You are involved in this product, this collection of DVDs. It's about disclosure. Explain. UFO disclosure. Well, as many of our listeners know, I am... Not the uh, biggest fan of the com, you know, the whole idea of disclosure. Of course, I think it's a pipe dream. You couldn't trust a government that had been lying to you for sixty-five years. So I think, in in the idealized way that people look and view the subject of disclosure, it'll never happen. And um, I've spent quite a bit of time over the past six eight months editing an exhaustive. Uh, totally thorough examination of the whole subject of disclosure. And boy, I tell you, it features everybody. Richard Dolan's in it, Stephen Bassett, Peter uh, Peter Robbins, uh, Gary Heseltine, Stanton Friedman. I mean, you the allowed, list goes on and on. You allowed Bassett to come on, huh? We did. And, and uh, the, the conversation, for instance, that he had with Paul Davids about the role of Hollywood in uh, the whole UFO uh, the development and the unfolding of, of public knowledge of UFOs and how Hollywood was has been very crucial in kind of miseducating the public, if you will, um, in many regards. I mean, that conversation, I learned so much. Um, the conversation, these are dialogues now. The project is called Dialogues, uh, Disclosure Dialogues, and, and it's not just a bunch of talking heads. It's the top experts talking to each other, which is absolutely fascinating. fascinating. I learned so much. Uh, for instance, Richard Dolan and Danny Sheehan talking about the religious and cultural implications of disclosure just was fascinating. So I, I was I was hired actually to edit this this uh, humongous project that's I think twelve hours. Uh, it runs uh, five DVDs, and I also uh, was the one that compiled sound bites from each of these dialogues and put them together in a coherent fashion for a standalone documentary called "It Could Happen Tomorrow." which I think, in my opinion, is probably the most comprehensive, most in-depth look in about an hour and five minutes that you will ever find out there on the whole subject of disclosure. We're super excited about it. I think it's a historic achievement. It took two and a half years to get all these dialogues filmed. Um, it's taken the better part of the last year to get everything all put together in a coherent fashion. And um, even though I am... <laughs> I am one of the few people in the piece that actually uh, sort of just poo-poos the whole subject. Uh, I am the one that was asked to objectively uh, put on my 
neutral hat and and edit the whole thing. So I, I do think it's a very important project. We're already getting uh, really good reviews. We premiered uh, It Could Happen Tomorrow, the standalone doc. We premiered it at the recent 2011 uh, International MUFON Symposium. And uh, we did get some really good feedback. And I urge everybody, if you're interested in this subject, this is a one-stop uh, shop that you can do to really get yourself up to speed. Just go to uh, my website, Our Strange Planet, click on the link. It'll take you to a website, and you can look at some clips from the from the piece. It's uh, super well put together, and I'm really happy uh, that I was asked to become involved, even though... You know, it is a subject that I have some problems with. I think I, I learned a lot, and I put a lot of this stuff together in a way that's very, very, very educational. So you go to ourstrangeplanet.com, Correct. and you'll see a link, and you can order the set. And it's really economical, worth it. We're going to do yeah. one or more shows about yep. disclosure in the near future. But today we're going to do a show with an old friend of the show, old friend of ours, Leslie Kane. And she is the author of this best-selling book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. A paperback edition is coming out this month, but also on History, the cable TV channel. There's going to be a two-hour special, Secret Access, UFOs on the Record, that's going to feature the highlights of what we know about UFOs. And this is a totally scientific approach. That's Leslie Kane coming up next on The Paracast. I've got to tell you about this. GoToMeeting by Citrix, the way I meet online with my colleagues, has just added high-definition group video conferencing. It's called GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Now you can collaborate with anyone around the world face-to-face. And I've used GoToMeeting HD Faces because it's awesome. You see the facial expressions, and that can express so much more than words. Of course, the video quality is so clear and natural, it's got the highest resolution in the industry. Nothing compares. GoToMeeting Meeting with HD Faces will make your online meetings even more personal, engaging, and effective. Plus, it's so easy to use. All you need is an internet connection and a webcam. I want you to try GoToMeeting with HD Faces. My listeners can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. The promo code is PODCAST at GoToMeeting.com. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realist, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! 
Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals boosts energy levels and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we are joined by a friend of the show, Leslie Kane, who has been on a number of times in the past few years, most recently to announce the publication of her book last year, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And, Leslie, it's now available in a paperback edition, huh? That's right. It just came out a couple of weeks ago in paperback. So um, it's a smaller, it's beautiful. It's smaller, lighter, easier to carry around, and cheaper. So there it is. <laughs> and in this economy, cheaper is good. Now, exactly. how many years has it been, Leslie, since we've had an actual best-selling UFO book? I mean, as I go back to the days of, like, Donald Kehoe and Frank Edwards and people like that? How well, long? I think that one of Bud Hopkins' book, maybe Intruders, was a bestseller. Okay. No, it was, actually. That would have been in the 80s, I think. Right. And then there was Corso's book. I don't know. If right. that, I think that might have been a bestseller also. But I, I'm not positive, but I, I can't think of anything else. But I, I could be mistaken. So I think it's been a while since it's been a bestseller. Now, I'm, parenthetically, I'm not going to ask you about Corso unless you want to respond. What do you think of that whole thing? This is, of course, that he was the bag man for alleged 
secret alien developments from Roswell, and he sent them out to private industry. Do you have any feeling on that? I, I basically don't buy it, but I, it's just my opinion. I mean, I don't have any particular inside knowledge into it one way or the other. I just it seems way too far-fetched to me to be plausible. And I respect other people who have looked into it, like Stanton Friedman and Bud Hopkins. They certainly have cast grave doubts on the veracity of the whole thing. So, But I haven't spent a lot of time with it. I think here in the PowerCast, we're looking possibly interviewing the late Philip Corso's son and see what his take on the matter is, but that's another subject entirely. Let's get back to your book. There's also, by the way, a TV cable TV special coming up. Is this going to be basically a documentary based on the book or what? Yeah, it's a TV special documentary made by an independent film company called Breakthrough Films. They were commissioned by the History Channel to do something sort of based around the book. It was at the time when the book was a bestseller, and the uh, film company went and pitched this, pitched it to History Channel. And it's really just takes some of the cases from the book and looks at those cases. And, you know, I sort of am a spokesperson throughout the piece, and I help produce it. So, But it's, it's an independent film production company that actually made the film. But that's going to be aired on August 25th on the History Channel. So um, I hope people will watch it. I think they did a very good job. I mean, definitely when you're working for the History Channel, you're under certain constraints based on the requirements of making something for TV. So you don't have the, the kind of um, control you have. Because this is the first time they've actually made something for TV, this company. They're a really outstanding independent documentary film company. So given the parameters of the fact that you have to do a certain number to do a TV show, I think they did a really good job. All those commercial limitations. In doing the press tour, as they say, or the TV radio tour for your book, did you find constraints and having to deal with these interviews that are seven minutes long and you have to get in the proper talking points? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely harder to do it in a short time, but I got very used to it and I just sort of know what my talking points are. And a lot of it, of course, is based on what they ask. So I got, I did so many interviews when the book first came out a year ago of all different lengths that I got, you know, very used to just doing it in a short bit if I had to. Now, um, one you know. curious interview, I thought it was well done, the one you did on Fox News, where you had the two hosts, they seemed to be standing on a platform, and you yeah, were on I the platform, so it was kind of like you yeah. were looking up and they were looking down at you. Yeah, I sort of remember that. That was another like three or four minute one. Right. And if you listen to the audio, it's fine. But if they look at you, it's like you're looking at them and they put themselves in a way that they're superior to the guest. Isn't that peculiar? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't feel it at the time. I think it's more that I'm just I'm just a short person. I mean, we were standing all on the same level, I think. Oh, you were? They were tall, and I'm small. And it may also have been the way the cameras were pointed. Yeah, but I think I remember the setup. It was this, this male and female anchor. Right, that's the, the way they do it there. Fox News blonde, you know, types. <laughs> The generic Fox News blonde type. Exactly. And, and I think know. people now who watch that channel are going to be screaming at us on the Internet. There you go. <laughs> well, we haven't said anything bad. Nothing bad with No, it's blonde, just right? that we understand they hire tall people. Now, in <laughs> the old days of show business, of course, when you had someone like an Alan Ladd who was five foot six or something, and mm -hmm. he'd be the leading man, what do you do? He stands on a stool or something. Yeah, or a box so. well, crate to look taller. Sure, to look taller. Of course, you know, William Shatner, Captain Kirk is only 5'6", but he was a hero, but he didn't make himself look especially tall. I see, yeah. You know, 
Well, so, they didn't. They didn't. I don't know. That wasn't an issue. I didn't even think about it at the time. So. Well, I really enjoyed your appearance on Stephen Colbert. That must have been. Uh, <laughs> you must have been a little nervous before you walked out on that one, but I thought you handled yourself very well, and it, it was actually quite entertaining and educational. Well, thank you, Chris. I mean, I I really enjoyed that. I have to say, it was the the high point of my whole publicity deal on this book was that show nothing comes close to it in terms of the experience that I had and I mean, I'm such a fan of Stephen Colbert's I mean I had been for years I've actually been in the studio audience numerous times with my sister oh. who's a, another fan and um, I just was so psyched because of that you know I, I knew exactly what I was going to be up against the producers spent a lot of time talking to you and kind of preparing you for this and yes, it was very nerve-wracking, but I just sort of got in a state of mind of being so psyched and feeling so confident in the material that I had to present that, you know, it was absolutely thrilling to do it. What can I say? I didn't see the episode, sorry to say. It's, on the, it's right on my homepage if you go to my website and uh, want to check it out. Okay, just kind of summarizing it, were they trying to treat this as a joke or was it a very straight interview? Well, Stephen Colbert always, I mean, are you familiar with his style and what yes, he does? Yes, yes. He, he treated this the same way he treats every guest. He did not, you know, overly ridicule the, me as a guest or the subject matter. I didn't feel anyway. I mean, because he always is sort of doing his number on every guest that he has. And so he did his number with me, and it was really fun, and he was very funny. And I found, you know, when I went on there, I sort of, again, the whole issue of talking points, I sort of had in my mind certain points that I wanted to make sure I would get out. And once I was sitting there opposite Stephen Colbert, he's incredibly powerful, you know. Your focus just becomes purely on responding to him as a character. That's how it was for me. I, I couldn't really think about, oh, I need to make sure I say this, that, or the other thing about UFOs. It just became this dialogue between me and him. And the whole thing was to just be on the ball and be able to take him on as a person um, and be responsive to him and interact and that's what the whole that's what it just was all about once you get there he's just a very high you know high-powered intense guy to be sitting opposite but no i felt he was really fair about the subject matter and he sure he made fun of it but no more than he does with everything else yeah did you happen to see daryl sims i guess um, I'd oh yeah when they did that fiasco. yeah so that wasn't an interview that was one of their prepared you know Little oh yeah, news booths. I don't know why Daryl Sims ever allowed them to do that. I mean, <laughs> I, what was I he thinking? When I saw it. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my God, Daryl, you poor guy, man. Now, one thing is very certain: our sponsors might feel neglected. Our sponsors might feel that they deserve some attention if we don't give them a chance at the wheel here. And we have Leslie Kane with Chris and Gene on the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack 
of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with Uhimbi and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 caps, summer sale priced at only $12. Colon and Answer 250 caps, summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast, because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. We continue with Leslie Kane, with Jean and Chris on the Paracast, exploring her experiences as the author of a best-selling book about UFOs. And isn't it good? This is a real serious kind of volume, something that covers UFOs in a scientific fashion. In doing this book and in doing the publicity tour, Leslie, did you find 
yourself getting more and more information from people who now feel better about releasing it? Um, I, you know, I, that really hasn't happened, Jean. I mean, um, just trying to think. I mean, I've gotten a few, maybe some few people that have contacted me with information, but it hasn't been a major, major result of the book. Yeah, lots of people have written me who have read it, you know, and have been really impacted by it. And people in the scientific community and, you know, very sort of sophisticated people who said, I've never, you know, never taken UFOs seriously, and now I've never read a book on it, and now this book has completely changed my perspective, things like that. But in terms of new case material or something like that, no, there hasn't been a lot of it, to be honest with you. Now, what about the presence of someone like John Podesta, who did the forward for the book? Obviously, his close ties to the Clinton and the Obama administrations. Has that helped you at all gain credibility for the subject? I mean, if today we're looking at the public's reaction to UFOs, compared to what it was a year ago. Do you think there's been any change, improvement, we hope? I mean, I hope so, and I certainly think that having John Podesta write the forward made a big difference. I mean, really, really significant difference, especially in the within the political world, as you mentioned, because he is so well-connected. Um, and it's opened a lot of doors, the fact that he did that. But in, in terms of the overall impact, I mean, it's it's just so hard to say because I, you know, all my response all comes from individual. It's the accumulation of individual people who are responding to this. I certainly sense that the media is is always getting more and more open to it, and I think the book has certainly had an impact there. And you know, to me, it just matters. It just boils down to how many people read it and whether there's sort of a cumulative effect that happens as a result of it. Um, and I know that people that actually read this book, you know, people who are going to re- read the whole book and have not been open to UFOs in the past, it's just, I think it's literally impossible for them to do it, to read it, and not have their feelings changed about it. It's just so hard for me to gauge, you know, the public, the overall public situation. I mean, um, obviously, you know, a lot more people have not read it than have read it, so... You know, I don't know. And, and of course, I'm very interested. I'm really most interested in, in affecting the scientific and the political world. And as I said in the book, trying to get some kind of change in government policy towards this issue. And that is not an easy task, as I'm sure you all can imagine. We've tried but, for, um, what, 60 sort of years right now? Since Major yeah. Donald Kehoe tried back in the 50s to affect a change, it hasn't happened. Now, today, have you had a chance in the past year to talk to people in government who can do something, make a difference? Or are they so wrapped up with the deficits and the political squabblings that there's just no time to deal with this? Yeah, I mean, sort of both at the same time. I mean, yes, I have had some interesting meetings and conversations with people, and it's sort of a slow process of trying to educate, you know, people in positions of power about this issue. That's been happening sort of behind the scenes. But at the same time, I learn more and more as I do that, that yes, I mean, this is an issue that is absolutely not of concern to that, to the political world. And I can understand why, given everything they've got going on, you know, it just isn't a high priority concern. So most of them, they don't know anything about it, absolutely nothing, you know. So you're really up against it, especially now when things are sort of in this crisis mode and we're going to have the election coming up, you know, it's just... It's very difficult to get the, the level of attention that is required in order for even incremental changes to happen. That doesn't mean that I'm not working on it, and I am working on it, uh, and I'm going to keep working on it. 
but um, it's you're really up against it, even more than I, I really thought. I think I was a little naive maybe in the book with my expectations, but, um, you know, I'm really learning, learning. <laughs> I think Major Donald Kehoe also, learned that. you know, at the same time, I am interesting more and more people in it and, and, and getting more co- contacts and things are happening. So you see both things happening at once. Doesn't it also have to happen with public pressure? I mean, we still elect these people to public office. And yes, maybe they are, to a large degree, beholden to large corporations more and more these days. Still, if a lot of people write and say, do this, do that, they're going to have to respond. Yeah, I just, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that, that you know, that people are, don't have jobs and, you know, are struggling in their various ways. I don't think that they're going to be writing letters about UFOs right now. My other concern about that, the whole public approach thing, is that so many of the people that get in, get, do write letters, sort of write them with language that's inappropriate. And, you know, they sound like the sort of the kind of nutcases that officials don't want to deal with. I mean, you have to, I've learned this from my conversations with people in Washington. You have to be so careful how you approach the subject, what language you use, how you discuss it, you know, the aura in which you bring to it. And when you get constituents writing letters about, you know, this or that, you know, the aliens are visiting us or whatever, it's just sometimes it's, it's more can be counterproductive, actually. Well, I'll ask you, you're a person who has been writing about this subject and studying it for a long time. You've dealt with people in Washington. You have these contacts. So we have a lot of listeners out there who are interested in UFOs. They'd like to see some sort of disclosure, at least more scientific investigation. Can you maybe in a few minutes, and we can go into this a little bit through the show, suggest how do they phrase? What do they say to express the point without making themselves look like lunatics. I'd be happy to give them, give them that, you know, my opinion on that, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Sure. What do you think? If I'm okay. writing a letter, I want to write to my senator or my congressman, and I want to ask for investigations. What do I say? Okay. How do I say it? Well, I think what you just said is, first of all, the first and most important point is you ask for an investigation. You're not asking for disclosure which means you're not asking them to release some big secret that they've been sitting on for 50 years, that they have a crash saucer hidden away or this or that. You're just asking them for investigation into something that is a genuine mystery that needs to be uncovered. And the reason that it's important is for three, the way we've been approaching it is a three-pronged approach. Number one is there are aviation safety implications because of these things flying around. Number two, there's even national security implications, although I don't think they're as significant as the um, aviation safety ones, but you have the cases with the military bases. And um, the third one is the scientific, straight scientific, you know, prong, which is, you know, this is an unsolved mystery, and it's a real phenomenon. And the scientists need to take it on, just like they've taken on lots of other bizarre issues that they've studied over the years, and we need to learn more about it. And I think that's the approach to take. You don't want to be accusing the government of keeping, you know, of having some horrible secrets and, and there's all these conspiracies about people, some elected officials know about it and some don't. And you just, you don't want to scare them, you know, make them run away as if they've done something bad because whoever you're writing to is going to know absolutely nothing about UFOs. They just don't. One thing about it also, Leslie, is the fact that that letter is not necessarily going to get into the hands of the public official. It's going to go into their assistant or executive assistant or someone who reads 
hundreds, thousands of letters every week from constituents, and they're going to decide what rises to the top of the pile to actually get to that person's attention. Most times it will never get beyond the assistant, so you really have to tread carefully here because you might find yourself going into the junk mail bin. You don't want to. Exactly. That's absolutely right. And, you know, one thing we've been doing more of is using the, the, the acronym UAP as opposed to UFO. I mean, if you can avoid the word UFO, you're, you're, you're one step ahead. I'm That's something you, I want so to get loaded. into with you as we progress so with the show. The phrase UFO is so often used, of course, from the days of Captain Edward Ruppelt. At that time, flying saucers had the stigma. We call them flying saucers, then UFOs. Right. We had APRO, the saucer group of many years ago that informed their own terminology, UAO, and now mm-hmm. you have that version. Let's talk about phraseology in a moment. Leslie Kane joining us with Gene and Chris on The Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Democrats, Republicans, have you had enough? Want real change? Then change yourself. Join a new political party formed to liberate the American people from the banksters who have overthrown the republic. If you agree with 
maximum liberty, limited government, and traditional morality, then you agree with American Third Position. Get more information now. Call 800-513-4928 or go to a3p.me. That's A, the number 3, P.me. It's time to take America back. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild chaga and birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterol needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Of course, Chris gets paid extra when he says the Paracast. Instead of getting just one cent per show, he gets two cents. I'll throw in my two cents. <laughs> With Gene and Chris, we have Leslie Kane. She's author of the New York Times bestseller, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. Available in paperback, so if you couldn't afford the hardcover version, it's in paperback. Is there an ebook version, too, by the way? There is. It's been it's been on Kindle. It's been available on ebook since the since last year. So that's also an option. And I mention that because in many cases, ebooks are now outselling traditional print books. Right. So there you go. Yep. Well, that's good. Okay, so we're talking about getting your viewpoints known to your government officials, demanding an investigation, and about what we call the phenomenon. We called it flying saucers at one time. Ha ha! Flying saucers. Then. Edward Ruppelt said UFO. So UFO is now passe. We've got to drop that term. It has too much baggage. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I use it, of course, and it's titled my book. Uh, but I'm just, to the extent that you, when you're dealing with people in positions of power, you know, if, they, if you just, you have to sense it in the situation, but it can be useful to use UAP. It just sort of gives them, uh, you know, it, it prevents them from having this sort of negative reaction that they might have otherwise. You have to say what UAP stands for, and you're going to have to give a line you're sort of defining what you're talking about. And I do, I do have a definition of, of that in my book, but it's just a very tricky business. I think also the thing about writing to your representatives, if you, can, if you have a representative that's on some committee that has some relationship to this subject matter, you know, a scientific committee or technology committee or something, then, you know, you have more of a chance of it, of it making a difference. And maybe it's good to target the representatives that have some kind of relationship to some committee that 
has some kind of relationship to this issue. I mean, it's it's really hard. But I think the main thing is to just be very careful, to be very scientific about it, and that you have to give them a reason why they should care. Why is this worthy of their time? You know, that's a hard thing to do. You don't want to be accusing the government of, of deeds of secrecy and all of these deeds of, of, of keeping things secret from the public and all that kind of stuff. You want to appeal to them as a person, a community who needs their help. People like to be asked for help. It makes them feel good. So we need you, America, to become part of this worldwide investigation into this phenomenon. And, with, uh, and I think also, uh, Jean and Chris, to let, people, let these representatives know that other countries are actively involved with this, that they have agencies that are actually working on this is important. You know, America's unique in its, and in some ways, and it's sort of aversion to the subject matter, but certainly the fact that other countries, European countries, take it seriously is important to these people. I know that. Well, very recently, of course, we had another round of data released by the British government. Right. About well, UFOs. You know, like, sure. We don't exactly need any more data. I mean, it's always interesting, but we don't. Do you think we have enough now? Do you think we have enough information out there that if we sent that out to the proper level of scientists, when they engage in the proper degree of scrutiny, they'll figure out what's going on? Well, I don't think it's, no. I mean, I don't think they can figure it out just from the documents we have. I mean, they're not going to be able to figure out where the, what the UFOs actually are and where they come from, obviously. I mean, they certainly can be convinced that there is a real phenomenon. And I think those that read my book have been convinced of that. But I think the only way they're ever going to get to the bottom of this is to really uh, become proactive, to put energy, resources, time, intellect into creating a methodology by which they can actually capture data that they haven't captured before. I mean, they have to come up with their way of getting to the bottom of this mystery. And it's not about just looking at a lot of documents that we already have. It's about actually being out there and collecting new information maybe finding a way to, you know, get highly, highly sophisticated photographic equipment out that will give you all kinds of information about objects and have to go places where they tend to show up. I mean, it's a big deal, and it will be an expensive process, but, you know, for mm, something of this Leslie, magnitude... I don't know, I, I disagree there. Uh, okay. I'm in the midst of putting together a seven-camera surveillance setup at one of the, if not the most, uh, hotspot UFO area in uh, the lower 48 states in the San Luis Valley. And for $100,000, you'd be surprised at the quality of hard scientific data that you'd be able to to actually compile with recording gravi- gravitometers, with recording, you know, with magnetometers, and with a coordinated, uh, synchronized camera setup. It's really, the technology has come down in price, and the quality has gone up to such a, a, a degree that we can do this now for low six figures. And and I think you're you're in towards the end of the book when you propose solutions. Uh, I think that that's really important for our, our listeners to understand is there is no substitute for hard scientific data. And if we can come up with irrefutable, unassailable data, then we are going to be able to interest uh, mainstream science and get them involved. That's when we'll start the ball rolling. And, and I, I champion this this approach that, that, that you've mentioned in your book. And, you know, as, as far as disclosure is concerned, I think listeners who've heard me talk about this on a number of occasions will know that I think it's a total pipe dream. And I have a suspicion that some of these uh, releases of documents by other 
countries is, is just basically taking the heat off the U.S. right now. And uh, what, what do you think of that? You mean that it's actually uh, done for that purpose? And, and it's, well, it, it, it seems to have that result. I mean, everybody's going, know. ooh. It, it's, like, it's like those uh, – it's like I would liken it to a pressure cooker. And the U.S. is is under pressure, and these releases by other countries seem to be like a, a pressure relief valve that it's letting out some of that pressure and that steam, and and taking the onus off the U.S. for just a, maybe a short period until the next, uh, until Peru maybe releases something, or Belgium comes out with more material, or or the French. It seems to me that this is all being done in concert. I don't have proof of that, but that that's my suspicion. Yeah, I mean, I don't have proof of that either. And, um, you know, I know that these countries uh, have decided years ago to do this. Um, and it just takes a while for the documents to come out. Certainly the Ministry of Defense documents have taken many years. But I don't know. I tend to – I don't think they're somehow in, you know, in cahoots with the United States and have some kind of plan to try to take the pressure off of them. Personally, I don't, I don't see any evidence of that. But I don't. I wouldn't have any way of knowing for sure. And I don't know. I don't think there's that much pressure on the U.S. right now. I mean, I don't know. But again, my position is that I don't think the release of documents is really, any, you know, what we need anyway. I mean, it's yeah, it's not going to tell us anything we don't already know. We have thousands and thousands of pages already of absolutely superb documents that, that establish the reality of this without a doubt. So another batch of documents. You know, unless there's some smoking gun that's accidentally released, it's just not going to really uh, make any difference. And, you know, in a way, it can almost be a distraction because people think, oh, boy, more documents. And they don't they lose sight of what we really need, which is something more along the lines of what you were saying, Chris. Well, let right. me ask you a question here. Data. Le- yeah. Leslie, a question occurs to me as you're talking about this and the approach of getting information out there. What does the government know, and when did they know it? Do they have any smoking gun? Is there something inside the government where they know what's going on? Or are they just basically taking the position, well, it doesn't show an immediate threat to national security. Let's not worry about it. We've got more problems to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you mean whether there is some kind of inside, secret, deep, dark program that might be working on this. Absolutely. And is there? And, you know, of course, I... I, I don't know the answer to that because we don't have – I'm a journalist and I sort of have certain criteria by which I have to, you know, agree – by which I will say, yes, I know this or I don't know this. And, of course, I don't know the answer to that. Of course, there's lots of interesting points that suggest the possibility of it. And I certainly would – you know, my book, I bring forward a new document from the U.K. which suggests that there is such a program in the United States. And, I, and sources I've spoken to have also – led me to believe that there is. but And I've, I wrote a chapter about it in the book, sort of why I think there is and why I think there might not be. I think it's an open question as far as I'm concerned, but I, I certainly think it's a possibility that there is such a program. And if there is, I would add that the mo- vast majority of government officials know nothing about it. So there are elected representatives. As far as they're concerned, it, doesn't, it, it just doesn't exist. So this whole thing you're saying about well, it's not, this isn't really a national security concern, we're not going to really worry about it, would still apply to most people within the Defense Department or anywhere else, because if there is such a, a research project going on, it's not going to be known to the, those people anyway. That's sort of the way I look at it. Now, that's just 
opinion based on the information that I have. I don't. I certainly don't have the answer to the question. That's for sure. And the other suggestion made sometimes, and we'll get into it in the next segment, is is the president at the beginning or end of the information chain? Because the president comes and goes, but the government bureaucrats, the commanders, the military officials remain administration after administration. Would they even tell the president unless it was an immediate matter of national security? Let's hold that question. With Gene and Chris, we have Leslie Kane on the Paracast. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg. We continue with the second hour of the Paracast with Jean and Chris. Leslie Kane joins us this month, paperback edition of her best-selling book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. There's also that History Channel documentary called Secret Access UFOs on the Record premieres Thursday, August 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. But like with other cable shows, it'll be repeated and hopefully over and over again so you won't miss it. Maybe it'll be available in other countries. So you heard the question here, the president at the end of the food chain for information. What do you think? I really have no idea, you guys. I mean, I just... I don't know any more about that than anybody else who's read what's out there and has thought about it. I just have no idea. I, I sort of doubt that most presidents are briefed about UFOs, but I'm in no position to know any more about it than you or Chris or anyone else. So I have to pass on that one. Of course, we get the other question here. Well, we have that legendary sighting from Jimmy Carter, but we heard nothing about UFOs once he became president. So. Right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and again, there's a people have reported that there was a meeting and he was in tears, you know, or something like that. And I, I, I just don't know. I mean, maybe he tried to make something happen. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very interesting example. Also, maybe that once he became president, he just realized that he had so many other things to deal with that it just slipped away. But president has are, to, he, they have to consider re-election <laughs> prospects too and it may true. not be politically correct to profess an interest in ufos it might work at a campaign stop but once they get into office they have to look at the larger picture the millions and millions of dollars of donations they expect to get to run a campaign 
And so right. they don't talk about it anymore. Do I you just think- wish, uh, you know, I wish Jimmy Carter before his, he dies would at least let us know exactly what happened. That would be the ideal scenario. He's the only one that really knows. Wasn't Hillary Clinton supposedly curious about this? Well, I mean, there's this whole thing with what they call the Rockefeller Initiative, where, where Lawrence Rockefeller was writing letters to Frank Press, I believe it was, the um, scientific advisor to the president. And, yeah, the Clintons responded to these letters from Rockefeller, and they invited him to their ranch. And, um, you know, Bill Clinton made some inquiries. Certainly he's, a, he's curious about this, and he tried to get some information when he was president. But, you know, I think that the significance of all of that tends to be exaggerated. Uh, I've just never found it to be quite as compelling as a lot of people think it is. But um, I, I know that Bill Clinton is curious about this subject. I don't, I don't know as much about Hillary Clinton. And that Hillary Clinton, certainly being Secretary of State now, is, is not going to go anywhere near it. <laughs> so. Well, she's also supposedly indicated that she's not going to stay beyond the first term in the Obama administration, not going to run for office, and so maybe as a private citizen, she might be, as they say, more forthcoming. But how the heck do you ever know? We'll see what happens. I mean, once Bill and Hillary are both out of politics, you know, it just makes it a little more possible. But but even even for Bill Clinton right now, um, with his wife being Secretary of State, it certainly even limits his ability to, you know, you have to be careful about what he does and says, just in terms of protecting her. He's also protecting the Obama administration. They want to keep the Democrats in the White Absolutely. House, so he has to watch what he says, even though he tends to be, you know, a little bit loose-lipped sometimes. Listen... <laughs> But not about UFOs, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, indeed. Okay, so we have all the people still demanding disclosure. As a matter of fact, Chris was I mean, mentioning... I don't think disclosure is the correct demand to make. Okay. That's the bottom line, as I was saying earlier. I mean, sure. I, don't, I think that word should be dropped from the lexicon, quite honestly. I mean, it implies that there's a secret that's being held, that the U.S. government knows that we're being visited by extraterrestrials, and that... Disclosure, by definition, means the government's supposed to announce that, yes, we are being visited by extraterrestrials. I mean, I just, you know, that is not, that is not the appropriate thing to ask a politician to do. They're, they're going to run far away from any letter making a request like that or, or any letter that states that we are being visited by extraterrestrials. I mean, they just don't, they're not going to accept that. Steve, and you Steve have to Bassett. ask them to... Yeah, you have to ask them, to, as I said, you want an investigation into this. We want to find out what this mystery is all about. But you can't claim that we already know what it is when we don't. Well, Stephen Bassett has come up with a new term, which I think is kind of curious, called the truth embargo. And uh, now he's championing the ending of the truth embargo. And again, that's still, that does But Chris, that, that still implies that exactly, the government has say. guilty knowledge. That's the same, it's the same yeah. thing. I mean, that, he's been touting that term since he started. It's the same thing as the word disclosure, truth embargo. I mean, you know, truth embargo on what? What's the truth that he's talking about? It's, just, it's the same thing I just said, that the extraterrestrials are visiting us. Okay, well, does Leslie Kane at this point think that E.T. is visiting us? Well, I mean, I certainly think, you know, it's a possibility. You can't rule it out. When you look at the totality of the evidence that we have, I mean, you know, nobody in their right mind is going to say that they can't possibly. Well, I guess that's not true. The debunkers will say that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm totally open to that possibility, and I certainly think it's a rational hypothesis, just like the people that wrote the Cometa Report did and the other generals that have written for my book. And, you know, very high-level people all agree that that 
is a, a real possibility. And the um, problem is, though, we need to find definitive proof that is the kind of proof that will satisfy the status quo, that will satisfy the scientific community before it's going to be accepted as an actual reality. And until that point comes, you know, for us to just jump the jump ahead and assume that that's what's happening is is counterproductive. It just doesn't it doesn't interest the uh, scientific community to come on board when we act as if we've already solved the problem. And since a lot of them can't find it very hard to accept that we could be visited anyway just because of the laws of physics, it makes it even harder to you know to shove that in their face. You just can't do it. Obviously, I believe that that's a significant. Uh, possibility. I mean, how can you not believe that? There's not a lot of choices when you rule out all the other possibilities. Of course, you don't consider the exotic possibilities interdimensional, another race coexisting with us on this planet, the so-called crypto-terrestrials. You don't really pay attention to that, do you? Well, that's not, I mean, I, I, I do. I certainly think the interdimensional thing is, to me, it sort of all fits in one realm of something that, you know, is undiscovered and it's otherworldly. But, um, you know, I don't know any more than anyone else about what these things could be. My focus is really, as a journalist, is to present what we do know about them, what the evidence is that the phenomenon is real, how it behaves, what it looks like, what is the documentation for it, and then I've got to leave it up to the experts, the scientists, to figure out the explanation for it. And, um, you know, so I'm not in any position to know any more than anyone else. It's just my opinion, really about what they actually might be. But, um, I, you know, I've talked to so many high-level people who, I mean, they just feel, I mean, it seems to be that for us humans, you know, the, the ET hypothesis seems the easiest one for us to accept. But who knows if that, that doesn't necessarily mean that's all that's going on, but it just sort of seems to be the one that we gravitate towards. It's the easiest one. You know, we got planets out there that have maybe, you know, we're discovering more and more planets, and it just seems to sort of fit for the way people think, but who knows what's going on out there that we that's way beyond that that we don't know anything about. So, Just you know, parenthetically, what do you think about the way we've cut back so much on space exploration? Certainly, you know, it's water, water everywhere. It seems like more and more places out there have water, the prospects of life, and we don't seem to care anymore. It's sad to me. I, I, I just get thrills when every time I read about more of these, these Goldilocks zone planets and so on. Uh, you know, I, I, it's just, um, to me, it's, it's a huge priority, but I, I guess in these, the, the times we're dealing with now, the economic issues we're dealing with now, a lot of people wouldn't, don't feel that way. They want the money to go elsewhere. Maybe it'll take E.T. if there is an E.T. to land here and say, here we are, now you can't deny that we exist. That would be wonderful. I guess. Hopefully it would be wonderful if they're benevolent. And not just preparing for whatever they're going to prepare for. The book, again, is called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. In paperback this month, the History Channel special coming up on the 25th of August. We'll have more of that, but we'll also have coming up next your questions, listeners, on the Paracast. So we're getting set for them. Chris is assembling the questions right now. We're talking to Leslie Kane with Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Yeah. 
Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoIsGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Fake Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Alan Olson with Midas Resources, senior gold and silver broker since 1978. Over the last 3,000 years, gold has been a storehouse of wealth and has survived nearly 500 paper fiat currencies. Since the 1970s, the fiat U.S. paper dollar has lost over 90% of its purchasing power and is decreasing every day. With the U.S. government that is bent on reckless spending, gold and silver are your only safe havens of protection for your hard-earned paper dollars. Please contact me, Alan Olson, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 127, with your questions or purchases. Let's work together to preserve your assets. 1-800-686-2237, extension 127. Again, 1-800-686-2237, extension 127. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use EscapeHarassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? 
something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. So here's how it works. When we know we're going to have a guest on the Paracast, we open up a thread, a topic in our forums at forum.theparacast.com. That's forum.theparacast.com, entitled Questions for. So there was a thread there called Questions for Leslie Kane when we, and Chris O'Brien has been going through those questions, and we're going to read them unedited, which means we don't know what they're going to ask, and Leslie's going to be surprised, perhaps. But here we go, Chris. Well, first of all, uh, our former skeptical moderator, we do try to keep a, a moderating crew that uh, runs the gamut of opinion about these subjects. And Angelo, uh, unfortunately, can't stay on as our moderator uh, because of uh, job requirements. But he, of course, uh, is quite a uh, Paracast fan, and he, he posted the first questions. And uh, I think you've already asked his first one. Which is how cool is Stephen Colbert? Uh, I think he already answered that one. He's he's pretty outrageous, and and it he's was way uh, in my cool. opinion, yeah, way cool. He, and it was really cool of, uh, for him to have you on the show for such a controversial topic like that. But Angelo's second question, being a skeptic, is: Do you think it's possible that any of the cases in your book have more to do with misidentification than anything else? And up to this moment, nothing has convinced Angelo that UFOs are anything but misidentified objects. What convinced you that UFOs are not from Earth? Well, well, I mean, um, you'd have to take each case, you know, separately to, to answer the question about what, you know, whether they could be misidentifications. By that, I'm assuming they mean misidentifications of some kind of man-made technology or some natural phenomenon or something explainable. Correct. Um, and I think, you know, if you read, if you really look into these cases, the ones that I'm concerned about are just so thoroughly investigated with so many witnesses that I'd be interested to hear, is it Angelo, the person who wrote this Angelo, question? Angelo, yeah. A- Angelo's opinion as to what he would think could likely be that, mis- what that misidentification might be, say, in the case of uh, Parvis Jafari's object that he saw over Tehran or the object that was seen over Belgium or, you know... I suppose it's always a possibility. I mean, it's always a possibility that every single, even the best UFO case is explainable. I mean, I'm not completely shut to that, but to me, the chances of that are so minuscule just because of how much is known about the objects that was that were observed. And you have very bright, skeptical people involved in the investigations. And, you know, it's hard to accept that in every single case, if there was an explanation for it, they would not have been able to find it because they tried, you know, as hard as they possibly could. People very well equipped to do so, to find explanations for these things with all the data at their disposal. You know, I I just find it extremely unlikely that that, that that every case can be explained away like that. Especially the Brazilian Air Force case. My goodness, that that to me, uh, those two pilots, <laughs> boy, if they were if they were observing something that was mundane and easily explained, uh, it, it must be in a parallel reality. Because I'll tell you, what they described did not conform to any possible uh, misidentified 
mundane uh, event and an object. So I think that's true too for lots of cases. So. Well, your book is filled with them. That's why you you collected these particular cases because they mm-hmm. are so incredible that uh, it would be very very difficult to just explain them away. Now you mentioned the Belgian case and the Belgian triangles uh, in the in the 80s. We recently had a a hoaxer come forward and say that he hoaxed one of the most famous of the triangle shots. The question is from Wickerman, who's been a longtime poster and uh, is now a new moderator for the Paracast. And he asked, what's your take on the Belgian Triangle case now that a photograph related to it has turned out to be a fake? And then he has a follow-up on Rendlesham. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was very dismayed, of course, when this guy came forward, because as you mentioned, that is one of the most famous UFO pictures. It's been studied in laboratories. I think there is still some question, and, you know, the, the, the Belgian investigators are, are looking into this, and we don't have a lot of answers on it yet, but there's still a possibility that maybe it wasn't hoax. But let's assume that it was. It's just a very discouraging and very sad development. Nonetheless, that does not in any way affect the power of the case and all the other sightings that were reported and all the data that we have on these on the Belgian wave. I mean, that photograph was one particular incident, which if you want to look at it as a hoax, is now explained away. It's no longer part of the record. But we have all the other parts of the record that are unaffected by the fact that that photograph was a hoax. So, you know, you've you got to be careful to just separate that out. And the, the amount of data that we have that General Wilfred de Brouwer presents in my book on that Belgian wave is just phenomenal. It's unfortunate we've lost that, the, the photograph, but as I said, there's lots of other information that hasn't been affected by the fact that that photograph is now suspect. To me, it's one of the most fascinating, most powerful cases we on record just because of the fact that it was a wave, that because of the fact that the objects kept returning and that the government of Belgium was so involved with it with, uh, in the investigation, very much in contrast to how the United States would handle something like that, like they did in the Hudson Valley wave at a similar time period. So there's just a reams and reams of data that have been collected on these objects that were seen over Belgium. And I've been over there and I've, I've talked to the police officers and lots of the people involved who were witnesses to this case. And I've seen these notebooks of data that the scientists collected during the time that the wave was going on. I've talked at length with General de Brouwer. So, I mean, I have absolutely no doubt about the standing of this case. It's just a, a very unfortunate situation about the photograph because I absolutely always loved that photograph. It's just mysterious to me how something can be analyzed in a laboratory as many times as that was and just have been styrofoam. I think that, you know, we still need to learn a lot more about what actually happened when they constructed that thing, and and, um, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me. But we don't have the answers to it yet completely, so I'm waiting to hear more from the Belgian people that are working on it. Okay. Here's here's one uh, concerning the Rendlesham case. Um, And Wickerman asked, does Jim Penniston's ever-evolving story change your opinions about Rendlesham or even about your opinion of Penniston? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're talking about the numerology, the, the, the numbers that he downloaded into his brain, that whole thing, probably. Well, there's, um, there's a bunch of things that have been added to the, to the whole thing, revelations that have come out as the story gets more and more <laughs> details to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that since the um, binary code thing, that's what it was, I really haven't, I haven't followed anything that happened after that. But, you know, I... I don't know what to make of it, except that it's far out enough that it's not something... For instance, if I was writing the book today and I was had Jim Penison in it as a witness, I would not include any of that material because it's just... Um, it's not 
something that can really be relied on in terms of heavy proof. And so, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to say it's not true or not true. I'm just going to say that within the realm of the kind of data that I work with, that kind of material is not going to work. And I, I'm not in a position to comment on Jim Pennison as a person. I mean, I know him and I respect him. And I, I also know that he was very affected by what happened to him and has many lasting effects as a result of that. And, um, you know, has so... That's about as far as I can go. I certainly respect and you know his initial account of what happened, which he beautifully wrote about in the book from his you know his own experience of what it was like when he saw that thing sitting on the ground and touched it and everything. Um, okay. Okay. We have Leslie Kane. You're listening to Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hey, Brian, if you could do just one thing today to ensure your family's food security, what would it be? That's easy, Bill. I'd head straight to SoupBeanSurvival.com. SoupBeanSurvival.com? I know, Bill, it sounds crazy, but this ancient secret has been around for over 8,000 years, and it truly is nature's super survival food. Really, Brian, the number one survival food? Well, certainly the forgotten survival food. Absolutely, Bill. The folks at SoupBeanSurvival.com scoured our planet to find the very best heirloom seeds to truly find nature's super survival food. Brian, these aren't grocery store beans, are they? No way, Bill. You're not going to find these beans in any grocery store. These are the absolute highest quality beans in the world. Visit SoupBeanSurvival.com. That's SoupBeanSurvival.com for all the information you're going to need for nature's super survival food. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. 
You know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, reading the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Leslie Kane with Gene and Chris on the PowerCast answering your questions. But there's one I'm going to ask right now, which kind of follows from the previous question in the previous segment of the show, Leslie. And that is, have you found that any of the information that you included in the book, maybe you regret that decision now because of new developments? Anything at all? No, I don't think the only thing that's come up is this Petit Rochin, the Belgian Triangle photograph. You know, that's come up since the book came out. Don't think there's anything else. I mean, there were a few small errors that were corrected for the paperback, you know, just things like um, an aircraft being referred to by the wrong number or something like that. But nothing in terms of the actual data that I can think of that's been questioned or that's been, you know, that I have any regrets about. No. Um, And what about the book, The Conclusions of the Presentation? Would you make any changes today if you were doing that book all over again? I, you know, I think I might be a little more, uh, uh, a little more sense of the difficulty of changing government policy, although I still hold that vision as strongly as I did when I wrote the book. Um, but I've sort of been out in the field a little bit more since then and, you know, have a different, a little bit of a different perspective on what's involved in doing that than I did when I wrote the book. That's really the only aspect of it, I think, that I've kind of learned more about since the book was written that that's really going to be a, a more of a struggle than I might have thought. But nonetheless, I still hold the vision as being the ultimate goal that I have in the book, which is that we have a small agency set up somewhere or a small office somewhere within government to, to manage the subject. And I, I, you know, as a long-term goal, I think that's realistic, but it's going to take a lot, maybe a lot more effort than I might have imagined at the time. But, you know, it's still pretty much the same, though, the same vision, the same ideal that I had at the time when I wrote it. We have a lot of questions. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and run through some of them. Sure. Um, This one comes from a longtime poster, uh, Fascist Cardan, who's been a poster since July 2009. And he asks uh, a series of about four different questions. I'll I'll throw the first one out here. Do you really feel that by applying pressure for UFO investigation on the political segment of society, you're following the right course of action? Wouldn't it be more important to, for instance, divulge these good sightings and data in universities and colleges places where future and present scientists and thinkers work. 
Yeah, well, I think I think both are important, and I'm kind of trying to do both simultaneously. I think we need to hit up the political establishment and the scientific establishment. Ideally, if we can bring them together in some way, because they do intersect. In that, in order for scientists to get grants and to get uh, to have the, the subject have the kind of credibility that it needs for them to take it on, you know, the government's going to have to change its position on the subject matter. So, the two are very closely linked. But yes, I definitely think that direct outreach needs to be made to scientists as well as to government officials, and I'm doing that to the extent that I can do it. And but I encourage everyone to do it. Right. Well, how about military personnel? They're usually regarded as top drawer witnesses, but have you ever felt that some of them may be answering to interests that go beyond the simple, sincere truth? And he gives the, uh, the illustration of counterintelligence and disinformation are the building blocks of the intelligence community, and sometimes it seems that some of the military witnesses have ulterior motives behind their stories. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I don't personally feel that that's the case with the witnesses that I worked with in putting together this book. Um, you know, I suppose there's always a possibility that I've been deceived by them, but I sincerely doubt that that's the case. Um, it doesn't mean that that never happens, but I think the cases in the book that I, and I, I know many of the witnesses very well, I think they're quite straightforward. There are other witnesses that have corroborated what the one person has said. The case is well known, it's well documented. So I don't. I really don't have the sense that there's any kind of ulterior motive in in these particular cases, um, which isn't to say that that never happens, but not within my experience. Well, that kind of leads to the next question, uh, which is, as a journalist, how do you deal with your colleagues' work regarding the UFO phenomena? Have you ever found yourself in a position where you felt compelled to criticize the lack of rigor and objectivity of other journalists' work? Well, the sad thing is there really aren't many other journalists working on this. Uh, I mean, you know, you have a story occasionally by a journalist, but I don't know of any other journalists that are really focused on it. Um, it depends, I guess, how you identify the word journalist. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, I don't like it when I see reports made that are not rigorous. I mean, I don't think that that's, you know, but I'm not, I'm not sort of out there criticizing other people. I try to not do that, actually. So. Well, are you seeing less of the giggle factor at the end of, uh, let's say, regional uh, television broadcasts? Uh, obviously, there is a kind of a toxicity around the subject, or there has been for many years. Are you seeing a, a change in uh, mainstream journalistic attitudes towards the subject? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I, certainly in the interviews that I've done with the mainstream, that giggle factor has not been there. I mean, absolutely not. You know, the Fox News stuff. and the, I did three or four shows on Fox and MSNBC I did a show with. That just hasn't been there. Um, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of what you see often is when you see television uh, news cover a UFO story, the, the uh, anchors are the ones that do the quipping. You know, they make these stupid comments when they're going in and out of the story about a little green man or they joke with each other or something like that. That seems to be quite common and then they then they go ahead and they cover the story. So Isn't that part but, of the way that anchors are trained though, that you have the serious news but then you have the happy talk news. And you have yeah. to sound like you're having a great time. Isn't it fun after we just reported a serious traffic accident or some kind of weather disaster? So now we're going to laugh about something Here's the UFO subject. 
Exactly. That's exactly how they play it. You're right. And then they might cover some local sighting or something like that. And they might do the coverage coverage. decent. Yeah, exactly. That was my point. The anchors like to surround it with sort of little jokes and stuff. I don't think that has changed all that much, you know, but I, I just know that when, when, my, when I'm interviewed and, and I'm talking about my book, I really haven't sensed that kind of attitude going on among the people I've been dealing with in the media, which is, of course makes me very happy. But, um, and I think the media is certainly very kind of interested and open in the subject, certainly different than 10 years ago when I started out in this. I mean, there's no comparison. So that, of course, is positive, but... You still you still have this problem of of uh, you know the giggle factor within the media without a doubt. Now here's another question I'll throw in before Chris continues with the ones from our listeners, and that is you find more and more these days, and it's been true for a long time, but I think more frequently now, when they have so-called UFO conferences, events where they have loads and loads of really serious researchers, and they throw in a few of the woo-woo crowd to get in there to bring people to attract an audience, doesn't that denigrate from the serious nature of the presentations? I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I I have such an issue with conferences for that reason. And, um, you know, I I spoke last year at the um, International UFO Congress. I think I saw you there, Gene, actually, in Phoenix. And this, of course, is a big issue. And I've talked to the organizers, you know, is like, how do you, the the problem that they have is if they don't have some of these sort of woo-woo types, and they also have this room with all these crazy, you know, stuff going on, selling, people selling, you know, alien sculptures and all this wild stuff that goes on in their, in their, um, I forget they have a name for that room. But, you know, all the vendor, it's a vendor room. The vendor room, yeah. You know, and I've had so many discussions with these, people about the problem is that they they can't afford to put on the conference if they don't have a certain amount of that because that's so much of what brings people in and sells tickets and so they're sort of stuck with this dilemma i mean unless you have somebody willing to fund conferences that are going to all be you know a hundred percent serious people if you're going to do that you have to have some source of funding because otherwise you're not going to get enough people to make it work that's the problem so they're sort of stuck with having to to include a certain percentage of that just to, to make the conference happen at all. Well, MUFON I, apparently I is going dilemma. into that now. MUFON is adding some of the woo-woo crowd. But maybe, oh boy, maybe the they? other situation or the other problem in UFO research is that we need someone who is good at marketing, selling the message, you know, using modern marketing techniques and still keeping it serious. There can't be a dichotomy between those two approaches. We have Leslie Kane. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see 
see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. Heart and Body Extract continues to receive positive testimonials from people who have experienced amazing results, like Reed. I just wanted to send you a quick but a very big thank you for Heart and Body Extract. I've been on the formula for nearly a month now, and the improvement in the circulation of my legs has been simply amazing. Reed was facing a tough choice. I was facing surgery due to the severity of a 100% blocked artery in both my legs. And my decision, waiting for surgery, to say no and try heart and body extract instead has been, thankfully, the right decision. And the result? I can now walk up steps without noticeable pain. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. 
With Leslie Kane on the PowerCast with Gene and Chris, I raise the issue of the marketing message. I mean, we have a company like Apple that knows how to sell their gear, and they can do it in an entertaining, informative way without unduly hyping what the product does. I don't think they do as much hype as some other companies do. So the question here is, can we do market research? Can we bring in marketing people to UFO research to explain how we get the message across without the presence of the crackpot fringe woo-woo element? Sounds like a good idea, Gene. Um, you know. <laughs> no, that's not yeah. my job. I don't know anything about that. It always boils down to somebody to fund these kinds of things. Yeah. Where's Probably. Lawrence when you really need him? Exactly. He was like one of the true the true pioneers in the uh, the billionaire club set that uh, was willing to pony up some money. Of course, he he funded the the Peter Sturrock symposium. Right. Uh, the only top notch scientists basically were involved in, and it is a problem. It problem. you know, and we I need think a new Lawrence Rockefeller out there. We yeah, really do. Yeah, we do. And uh, going to MUFON's uh, 2011 symposium here uh, a number of weeks back, I was a little dismayed at uh, not only some of the vendors, but uh, as we have discussed, which uh, surprised me actually, but the whole idea and and the the theme behind the conference. Um, having a person like Jim Sparks, who, of course, tells a very interesting story and has an interesting uh, claim uh, of contact. But to have that as part of a scientific organization uh, with a mandate to scientifically investigate this this puzzling phenomena, I, I just found it pandering to, as you were saying before, Leslie, the the rank-and-file people out there that, that are attracted by the <laughs> the bells and whistles and the, the glitz and the pop culture view of all the, these, uh, these events and subjects. And I developed a, a rash. I couldn't find where to scratch it. Uh, I didn't have any calamine lotion. Uh, it, it, just, it just made me very uncomfortable. And unfortunately, yeah. this seems to be the direction that conferences are going in. Other than getting someone to, to bankroll or fund a serious type of examination uh, open to the public, I mean, what other recourse do we have? Uh, do we have to to be schizophrenic about it and, and appeal to the woo-woo crowd just to pay the bills? Or can we successfully do scientific research in this in this subject in a serious way and, you know, factor out all that, uh, you know, the the plastic alien toys and the, the alien lighters and the, the alien masks and, and the whole crystal, you know, healer crowd? Uh, I mean, is there any way that we can separate these two uh, very I mean, I wish we could more and more because that's certainly my, my goal in the way I approach the subject is to completely separate it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have an issue with the conferences for that very reason. I also understand the dilemma that they're in because if they, if they can't get people to attend, then the, the conference is a failure. It doesn't happen. I don't know how to answer that problem. I mean, I, I just don't know how to, how to, what to do about it. Um, but I, I can't stand all that stuff that you're talking about. I mean, I, it just, to me, is so irrelevant and so negative in terms of the subject matter and what we're trying to do to bring credibility to it. That it's exactly. It makes me ill. It makes me get a rash, just like you said. But can't you have just <laughs> pop culture there anyway with E.T. and everything, but keep the lectures, the presentations serious? So you kind yeah, of... Well, I think that's pretty much what they tried to do at the International UFO Congress, although I don't know if there were some 
there were some pretty, I think there were some sort of far out lecturers. And, you know, these are the, the lecturers that are the more far out are the ones that are, are the, the most popular, popular ones. I mean, the, 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 the whole UFO circuit, conference circuit thing appeals to a certain crowd. And what we need are conferences that are just, are speaking to a whole different crowd. I mean, if we're talking about a scientific conference, you know, you have to imagine it not including the audience that would go to these other conferences. But we need, right. we need to reach people outside of that world anyway. I mean, the people that go to these conferences are the, are the converted. You're preaching to the converted anyway. Um, you know, everybody just goes there and has a good time, and they're all, uh, you know, believers, if you want to use that word anyway. But, you know, the conferences that are important are the ones that can reach beyond that to people, you know, that wouldn't normally be involved with the subject and really try to elevate it to a scientific platform. But in order to do that, of course, you've got to have the scientists and you've got to have the funds to do the conference and all the things that it takes to make something like that happen. But we do have so, popular scientists who come on the air like a Michio Kaku who could present advanced physics and True. it's entertaining, and maybe we need to develop that kind of talent there. And I still think that with proper marketing, we could sell the message because it's an incredibly compelling message here. We have strange things going on there. We have all of these strange craft. They're seen on radar. They're photographed. They leave traces. This is the most incredible mystery of our times and if we sell the message, and speaking of getting millionaires, we have all these very rich people out there giving away money. We have Bill Gates. We have Warren Buffett. Imagine if they each give a billion dollars towards UFO research. Has anyone tried to approach them? Not that I'm aware of. No. I mean, I, I, you know, I have to get more serious myself about fundraising. So I've been preoccupied with other things this summer, but that's sort of something on my agenda for the future is to see what can be done in that realm. We'll see what happens, but that's the kind of thing that has to happen if we really want to take this to another level. I mean, we need the government, shift in government attitude, shift in government policy. We need a scientific reorientation towards this, and we need sources of funds. That's, that's it. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's uh, ask another couple of questions here. This one comes from uh, a fairly new uh, forum poster at theforum.theparacast.com. His name is Sentry. I'm assuming it's a he. Major Donald Keough shaped the UFO scene by introducing the concept that the military is concealing information from us on flying saucers, putting the military in a very defensive position. With its efforts at maintaining military secrecy, how much of an extra problem has the government caused over the years? I'm, it's kind of a strange question, but I think I, I understand where he's he's coming from. What does he mean, extra problem? You mean because of, uh, he's saying that... The because of something is- the military is doing uh, uh, on their own. In other words, the military may be uh, the, you know, responsible for a great deal of the secrecy, and, and this is causing the government a problem when it comes to addressing uh, some sort of disclosure type information or revealing the full extent of what the government knows. Maybe it's not the government. Maybe it's actually the military. The military, that is totally- yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, that's. A, I think that the, certainly the military, you know, when these, when these events happen, we certainly know this from the cases in the 60s, late 60s, where these, uh, the, you know, the nuclear missiles were affected, the silos were shut down and things like this. I mean, the, government, the, the military response to any kind of national security event is going to be to want to keep it quiet, whether it be a UFO event or something else. Um, they have lots of reasons to, you know, be very cautious about um, publicizing anything that's in any way threatening. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm sure there's all kind of information that the military has withheld 
about events involving UFOs, I, I, I would make total sense that there there would be that kind of withholding of information. And of course, people have tried over the years through the Freedom of Information Act and other ways to try to get some of that information, but we have no idea to what extent a lot of that is locked up someplace. Right. And um, I'm assuming that there is more information than we've been made aware of. I, I can think we can assume that. Well, here's, here's a follow-up question from Sentry. Do you believe that the claim, claims that the military has exploited the UFO myth as a cover story for secret projects? Bit of a softball question there for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that that has happened. I mean, I can't think of the specific cases, but, um, you know, where they like to, it's very convenient for the military if they're testing some kind of secret technology and somebody says it's a UFO, that's kind of a convenient uh, way for them to hide whatever it is that they're doing. That would make sense to me. I think that follow, though, dull- Leslie, that hmm? that's a deliberate effort in some cases, that you want people to think it's a UFO? Maybe so, if you don't want them to know what you're doing. Sure, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just convenient um, if you're testing something that, you you know, is still a secret. It's, but all a UFO is is something I identif- unidentified anyway, so I don't know how much of a cover it is. But, yeah, if people can start carrying on about, oh, I saw a UFO, it kind of lets them off the hook in terms of having to explain what, you know, it's just a convenient a convenient hiding well, I think, device. I think it goes deeper than that, Leslie. I think what they want to do is... is ascertain the psychological impact of certain secret aerial technologies to see how many people uh, actually report it to their sheriff, to see if that that report is picked up by the local media and whether a wave of these types of of misidentified sightings um, are picked up by the national media. I think that there's there's some sort of psychological uh, gauging program going on uh, inside the military-industrial complex to to ascertain the psychological uh, effectiveness of of just trotting something out without actually having it, you know, toss bombs around or fire missiles. Um, I personally have seen conventional craft lit up like Christmas trees in the San Luis Valley, and if I hadn't been five miles away, if I'd been even ten miles away, it would have looked like a huge 300-foot plus sized uh, UFO flying uh, at very low altitude over the valley floor. So I'll tell you what, is- Chris, we have to do the break. We have okay. Chris O'Brien, the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. Our guest is Leslie Kane. You're in the Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carding to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back with Gene and Chris talking to Leslie Kane 
We're honoring the paperback reliefs of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. So if you couldn't afford the hardcover version, it's in paperback, it's an ebook version. There's that special on the History Channel. Just called History or History HD, Secret Access UFOs on the Record, two-hour special premiering August 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And like other cable TV presentations in the USA, it will be obviously repeated. Leslie, is there any plan to take that overseas? Um, I guess it's, I, I think the History Channel does broadcast overseas. Um, I certainly, I was talking to someone in Ireland the other day who they broadcast over there. I don't think that the, uh, necessarily the premiere date will be the same, but I think the European countries all get the History Channel. So it, and a lot of the uh, footage we shot was, was in Europe, so I'm hoping that the people over there will get to see it. But I think it, I think that will happen. Eventually, it'll be out in a DVD as well. But that, I don't know how long that will take. So, it's really it depends on entirely what the History Channel does with it. Now, their, the other question that Chris kind of brought up before we did our break about government disinformation maybe making things seem to be UFO-related events to basically shield what's really going on, which is secret weapons testing. So, I guess the larger question is. Do you think that a substantial portion of compelling UFO cases are really secret weapons? I don't think that the cases, you know, again, the sort of leading cases that I've uh, outlined in my book anyway are. I mean, in some of the situations, the high-level officials were able to make inquiries and find out through their sister countries who would not withhold that information from them. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, it's possible that maybe a couple of cases are, can still be explained that way, but... The people involved in those cases have reported such extraordinary technological capabilities from the objects that they've observed that they have stated that even, you know, that, that we just couldn't possibly have that kind of technology even if we were testing advanced, very sophisticated weaponry or, or aircraft that were uh, was under development. It's just the, the kind of technology that these things represent just could not be within our capability. I mean, that's what the military officials feel who have been involved with these things. So I think it's extremely unlikely. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, 95% of all UFO sightings can be explained. And certainly many sightings that people report are explainable through technological advanced aircraft that's being tested or whatever. Things from other countries that maybe are flying around. I mean, yes, there's many, many, many sightings that can be explained that way. But I don't think the, the very thoroughly investigated ones that I feature in the book and other cases that are out there as well can be explained that way. Especially if you look back decades at cases where we didn't have nearly the level of a technology that we have now. You know, I don't, and, and the, what these objects, again, what they demonstrate is just so far from removed from anything that we are capable of that I tend to dismiss that possibility for most of the cases. We have another couple of questions from our listeners, and one of them has to do with uh, the Phoenix Lights. Uh, event and there's been a, a recent story that uh, is calling into question the original object that supposedly came down from Henderson, Nevada, uh, over the western side of the Phoenix area, and then down to uh, Tucson, where it was that it, it then disappeared. Now, one thing that I want to uh, note here before we uh, ask the question is that I did speak with a scientist who used to work for a aerospace company that uh, had something to do with our spy satellites at DSP in particular. 
And he told me that uh, DSP did pick up this original object that was seen 45 minutes before the actual flares, the famous uh, footage that everyone is familiar with. But the question is, many have dismissed the 10 p.m. sightings as flares, the, the, the second set, the lights, uh, which is correct in, in his opinion, um, but have asserted that the earlier sightings at 8 to 8.30 of a supposedly solid V-shaped object remain something more mysterious. But despite witness claims to the contrary, I believe the first part of this video clearly shows that this earlier object was not a single object, that the lights do move independently of each other and are probably jets flying in formation. Have you uh, heard anything about this uh, particular footage and this claim that maybe we were dealing with some sort of mundane uh, formation of, let's say, jets or some sort of uh, conventional craft? Well, I mean, I looked at that clip that was... um of the, you know, certainly the one that ends with the flare thing, but there's a guy named Terry in the beginning that has this footage, which he says was taken the night, that actual night of the Phoenix Lights. Now, I have never seen that before. I don't know where that came from. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the, the witnesses that I have talked to and, and the hundreds and hundreds of witnesses that called in to Francis Barwood's office, I mean, almost a thousand of them, and people that were concerned about this, seemed so convinced that these were not planes in formation. First of all, the thing was totally silent. It was much lower. You know, the, the video clip that's on that that you're referring to, yes, shows these lights moving around. The thing looks very far away, and it does just look like singular lights. But the reports that we have from hundreds of witnesses are not of singular lights. They're of an actual craft, a delta-shaped craft, that was very low, and low enough and slow enough that there is absolutely no way that they could mistake it for planes in formation. It's just an impossibility. And, and this is not just isolated witness reports. This is hundreds of reports. Plus, this, again, planes in formation are noisy. So, you know, there may have been planes in formation out that evening at the same time that these craft were out. But I'm convinced that, you know, I mean, I, I just do not think that every sighting of that delta-shaped object that was reported that night can be explained as planes in formation. And I think if you talk to many of the witnesses and, and put that explanation before them, they would find it ludicrous. Um, and that includes, of course, government, Governor Fife Symington, who himself was a witness. And uh, he certainly is 100% sure that these are not planes in formation. So it just isn't going to explain away what happened between eight, the 8 and 9 o'clock hour that night. Uh, it just does It's not going to happen. Were you aware that DSP actually picked up that object and tracked it the entire uh, its entire flight path? No, I would like to know more about that. Actually. Okay, I will uh, put you in touch with the info. person that gave me that information. Thank I'm, you. I'm a little nervous uh, to uh, name him on the air. Uh, he That's is, okay. but he's uh, he's a fairly well known person in the field, and and I will put you in touch with him. What are your favorite UFO cases? I mean, you've done a lot of, of digging and looking and, and really dug into and, and studied and investigated quite a number of very famous cases. If you had one case, well, what would be your favorite one? Jeez, oh, I don't think I could say I have one favorite. I hate to say that, but, um, you know, I, I, the Belgian wave is, is something I find extremely compelling. Rather than just say, this is my favorite case, maybe summarize it. Not all our listeners have heard about this. About the Belgian case, you mean? Or some other cases? Yeah, let's have possibly a summary or two as we go into cases, not just identify them. Maybe 70% of our listeners say, yeah, I know what that case is. 
But other listeners who are just joining us on the network, just picking up the show, haven't heard about these cases. So maybe what we should do is, okay, you have several favorite cases. Maybe we can start here and in maybe the next segment, summarizing those cases, telling these listeners what is compelling about them, what makes you find them important enough. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, of course, a lot of uh, very outstanding cases. I mean, one of them that I find fascinating is the 1976 case over Tehran, Iran, which um, we, I cover in the book through General Parviz Jafari, who was a pilot at the time, but later became a general in Iran. And probably most people are familiar with it, but um, it's it's extremely compelling. There were two, two uh, Air Force jets sent up to investigate this gigantic kind of diamond-shaped star-like object that was hanging out over Tehran and um, the Air Force pilots, each plane had, I think they were, I forget what type of jet they were, but they had uh, two pilots in each one. And uh, eventually what happened was when they would get to a certain distance from the object, they would lose control of their radios and their equipment. It would all go out within, I think it was 20, 25 miles. And then at one point, uh, Jafari was up there with his co-pilot and the ob- the larger objects sent out these sort of projectile, smaller round objects that, which headed right directly for him, and he thought that they were going to hit him. And we'll go into the second part of that with Leslie Kane. Next week on the Paracast, we will feature a Lunar Roundtable. You asked for it with Don Ecker of Dark Matters Radio and, of course, the Paracast Forums, and author and publisher David Hatcher Childress next week on the Paracast. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal like angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos and much much more to receive your complimentary fate magazine call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 what are you waiting for your fate awaits Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. 
food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We have Leslie Kane. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien on the Paracast. When we broke this sighting, the pilots saw projectiles coming forth from the UFO. That's correct. Um, it happened two, two, three, four times, and each time he was he he felt he had to fire a missile at it. So he was just about to press the button on a heat-seeking missile, which was, was going to be uh, sent out. You know, it had locked onto the object that was coming towards him. And as he was about to press the button on his equipment, which would have sent actually sent the missile, which had already locked onto this projectile that was coming towards him. His compl- his compl- uh, his equipment just went out. I mean, it was as if he had no power, and it was completely disabled by something. And it was very bizarre because in each situation, this happened right at the moment where he was going to press that button. Now, fortunately, these things never hit him, but um, he was up there with sort of this cat and dog kind of situation for quite a while. And there was this, you know, again, this larger object that he described that was just sort of suspended there. 
he described it as having these brilliant strobe lights. It was like one massive strobe light of these different colors that were flashing. So brilliant that he said you couldn't actually see a physical object. You just saw the light. Um, and eventually he came back down and there was apparently an object that had landed and was sending off. They never found that object, but there were signals that were being sent off from the ground. It was quite a quite a situation. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this case is the fact that the United States government was, was they had a, somebody over there who went to the debriefing afterwards and the DIA filed a three detailed three-page document, a secret document about the case uh, at the time, which was later released with the Freedom of Information Act, in which they gave an absolutely outstanding evaluation to this case. And the DIA evaluation that was written by Air Force Major Colonel Roland Evans actually states, quotes, this case is a classic which meets all the criteria necessary for a valid study of UFO phenomena. And then it lists these points about what makes this case so outstanding. Now, that is being written by the Department, the Defense Intelligence Agency, by a government which has which told the public, you know, six years earlier that it had absolutely no interest in UFOs and was not going to continue to investigate them and had, wants nothing to do with them, et cetera, et cetera. And here you are with a statement like that. So I, I find that extremely interesting. The document is as interesting as the case. Doesn't that possibly indicate there is this secret interest in UFOs that may be ongoing to this very day? I mean, back in the old days, Major Donald Kehoe referred to the silence group. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could. You know, this, this colonel, this, this Air Force major who wrote this document, reviewed the, the data, and he came up with this conclusion. You know, whether that means anything beyond that, I don't know. But certainly there was enough interest in it you know, and I make the point in my book that after the close of Project Blue Book, there seems to have been a lot of interest in our government in foreign cases. Um, you know, we have documents about cases that take place in other countries. We don't seem to have documents about cases that took place in our country. But obviously the interest continued, and we also know from the Bolander memo, that famous memo that was filed a couple of months before the announcement of the close of Project Blue Book, that, you know, channels were still set up for national security cases to be investigated. And um, certainly the mechanism was there within the Air Force and other intelligence agencies for UFO cases to be investigated. So, yes, it's no question that these investigations continued. We just don't know to what extent, how much of the information was kept secret, how much more they know than we actually have learned from documents that have been released. I mean, all of these questions remain unanswered, but... There's no question that we have documents that show that there was a lot of interest and activity going on within our government in these cases. The Iranian case is an example of one of those cases. What about the present day in the 21st century? Do we see documents that indicate ongoing interest today? I haven't seen any documents okay. on that, no. I mean, I, you know, and an example, a recent example being the O'Hare Airport case, which happened only in 2006 in which our government took absolutely no interest and there's been you know there's there was the tapes that were released from the, the the communications that took place with the tower during the event but nothing nothing on file about the case that we know of and i i strongly suspect that there isn't anything because there was just no interest in it but it seems to me that the 70s and 80s um we have documents there's nothing nothing relevant significant from the 90s nothing about the phoenix lights on record at least that we know of. You know, maybe it's too early to expect those documents to come out. But um, So the trend continues of, uh, certainly within the United States, of, of ignoring 
cases as, as much as possible, and when pressed to give an answer, coming up with something absurd to just make it go away. That's exactly what happened with the Chicago O'Hare case in 2006, and that was only a few years ago. Of course, that went on with the Roswell, New Mexico case. So many different explanations. So this book that recently came out from Annie Jacobson on Area 51, do you find any possible UFO implications there other than the controversial explanation for Roswell? Yeah, I mean, I have to confess I haven't read her book yet, so I can't really comment on it. I'm dying to read it, though. Uh-huh. But I did read about the story she came up with, you know, from that witness explaining the Roswell case, it seems really, <laughs> really ludicrous to me. But, you know, I, I haven't read the book. I haven't really looked into it. Um, so, but, but I can tell you as a journalist, I mean, this is what sort of struck me about that. You know, I would never write up a case based on one unnamed source, which is what she did no. in presenting that scenario. And, you know, it's just not something, I mean, I am so super careful to the extreme with the material that I present because of the controversial nature of it. That, you know, if I was thinking, boy, if that really sells books, that's cool, because think of the unnamed source stories I could have put in my book, and maybe I would have sold three times as many copies, you know. But it's just not responsible journalism to do that. No. That's the way I look at it. And um, she had this story based on one and unnamed source. So to me, just the fact that that's the source for the story is is suspect is just not solid enough to really rely on. Well, that source allegedly has been outed, but it doesn't seem like it produces any further information. And I'm only speculating here, folks. Maybe the publisher had her put that story in just to sell more books. Oh, there's a UFO connection. It's Roswell. Let's do it. Why is Roswell still so compelling? Is that the most important case ever? Because some people kind of want you to believe it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's an interesting thing. I think it's, it's become so much part of the sort of culture. I mean, I guess it's, it's interesting, it's popular because everybody knows about it. You know, people think of UFOs, a lot of people, the second thing they think of is Roswell. And it's just become this sort of mythology, as part, which is part of our culture that fascinates people. Uh, and I just, um, you know, I don't think it's the most important case at all just because it was so long ago. We, we've already learned everything we can learn about it. And I tried in my book to focus more on cases that were more recent. Um, but yes, it certainly holds the public's imagination, absolutely, like nothing else does in the whole UFO world. Um, All the legends about UFOs kind of stem from that case, no matter what true. happened. So unfortunate, yep. I think. But the other question is here, do you have evidence of other possible UFO crashes, and we'll get into that in a moment. Leslie Kane joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see 
see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Attention gardeners, this is an urgent GCN self-reliance update. GCN has just discovered a new bioactive superfood for garden plants, flowers, and herbs. It's called Protogrow, and it's so effective at producing rapid plant growth that it seems to almost force plants to grow like crazy under practically any soil and light conditions. Now, here's the best part for our listeners who garden for self-reliance. Protogrow's unique blend of sea nutrients maximizes mineral uptake and dramatically increases bloom set, creating maximum plant growth in minimum time. Protogrow works by providing geometric keys which have the capacity to actually unlock the genetic code for nutritional uptake in plants. Protogrow's full-spectrum plant fertility means fruits and vegetables with extraordinary taste and up to 10 times the nutritional value. And if you want to double or triple the potency of herbs or wheatgrass, you can. If you want to grow nutritionalized superfoods with non-hybrids, it's now easy. GCN listeners who want to grow dirt-cheap superfoods should visit the Protogrow website at growlikecrazy.com. That's www.growlikecrazy.com or call 877-327-0365. That's 877-327-0365. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, reading the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. We're back with Leslie Kane. And we're observing here the release of her book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record 
in a paperback version. So if you couldn't afford the hardcover, you want something that may seem a bit more disposable in terms of carrying it with you, get the paperback. Get it now. And, of course, there's this documentary from history, sometimes called the History Channel, called Secret Access UFOs on the Record. So, Leslie Kane, any evidence of other UFO crashes come your way, equal, better than Roswell, whatever? Gosh, I wish I could say yes to that, Gene, but no, uh, I haven't gotten any evidence on crashes. I mean, I did work on the Kecksburg UFO case for many years, 1965, but that's nothing new. So, no, nothing nothing new. And, I, I, you know, there are so many sort of tantalizing, suggestive case. You know, I, can, I don't know if you can really call them cases, but just situations in which crashes may have occurred. But we just don't seem to have enough information about so many of those to really draw a conclusion about it. So uh, I, uh, I wish I had more to offer on that, but I don't. And the other subject, which, of course, can be controversial, is that of UFO abductions. Where do you stand on that question? I have great respect for the research that's been done in that field, uh, by, mainly by John Mack, Bud Hawkins, and David Jacobs, and I find it fascinating and curious, and I just find it very interesting, but I certainly am not an expert on it. I, you know, I don't really deal with that material because it's not the kind of material that can be, I can make use of in terms of the goals that I have and what I'm trying to accomplish, so it's too sort of outside the box for, for me to carry along with the data that I carry with me when I'm doing this work. Are the implications I, too out there? Is that part of it? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's not something, you know, I would want to bring to the scientific community or the uh, political establishment. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that it's not happening. I mean, I'm in no position to know, but it's, it, you have to start with the very basic square one stuff if you're trying to reach people that completely dismiss the subject which is, you know, here's the physical evidence for a physical phenomenon that happens to be in the sky, you know, or has landed, but you don't talk about who might be driving that or why they might be here and all the things that the abduction material brings up. That's not something that I can take with me to a member of Congress. You know, it's just out, it's way too far out. Sure, but you're forced then to be somewhat politically correct if you want to reach these people. You have to basically take a certain level of evidence and beyond that, it's just not going to work. It's not going to gather their serious interest. That's absolutely right. And the way you have to look at it is that once we get this initial door open, which is to, to whatever it's going to be, and hopefully it'll be some kind of office within government someplace that, that's responsible for dealing with this issue. Once these, that initial door is open, then we, we can move forward and other aspects of the phenomenon, all the other more bizarre aspects of it can eventually be dealt with. But... Until that moment happens, yes, I guess politically correct is the word. I have to be very, very careful about what information I bring forward in terms of these people being able to even relate to it remotely. You know, you've you got to deal with things like aviation safety issues. Or you can't start talking about people being abducted. There's no way that they can take that into their realm and deal with it and, you know, be serious about it. It just has to wait for later that kind of information. What about the funding issue? I mean, we can't get the government to fund more unemployment insurance or improving our infrastructure, building roads, fixing bridges before they come collapsing down. How do you get them to spend even a few million dollars on UFO research? 
It's a really good question. And, it, um, but of course, we were proposing a lot less than even a few million, though. If we're talking about one staff member, say, as part of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, let's say, at the White House, who is sort of a coordinator for lots of different kinds of work that can take place in terms of coordinating with other countries, handling cases that might come up now. I mean, really, to have one person in place, and this is like the minimum that we would ask for, is not going to be that expensive. I mean, they can use existing resources. That's the thing in terms of if something should happen, like O'Hare Airport, and uh, we want to send out somebody from our agency or our point person needs to investigate a case like that, it's not, it wouldn't cost a fortune for them to do it because they just need to acquire uh, data, and a lot of the, the laboratories and so on are already there in place. So even, you know, even a, I'd say half a million, you know, a million dollars, something like that, to just get it set up is not that much if you're, if you're looking at the size of budgets that we're dealing with in terms of the Office of Science Tech Technology Policy, of its whole overall budget. It's a tiny, tiny amount. Besides, how much money are they spending on the sex practices of turtles? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's crazy out there, the way the money is spent. I don't know what, you know, it's it's a battle. What can I say? You just keep pushing forward. Wouldn't you be better having it done on a civilian basis, maybe trying to get grants to a college or university? I mean, that's there are people that have tried that for years, and yes, of course, it would be wonderful. It just doesn't, it seems a lot easier said than done. You know, and and that's why I'm sort of more focused on if if once the government can just slightly change its attitude towards this, it sort of opens up the doors for all these other things to happen, such as grants flowing into universities. But people have tried, and I'm I'm certainly all for anybody that feels they can put together a civilian organization and raise the funds to make it work. Uh, fantastic, but it just doesn't seem to be a possibility because of the the problems you have with the funding issue. You know, we just need a fundamental shift in how we view this subject matter within the, the status quo. I think before we can get some kind of liberation of, of funding to move forward with this. And um, we're really, it's, it's, a, it's a very stuck place that we're in right now in terms of trying to make that happen. But I don't see any other, other, any other way to do it. We're going to have to trick them into doing it, basically. <laughs> we're trick them into it by using language like UAP. There you go. <laughs> not the trickster, Chris. Oh, we, we, it's the T word. We can't mention that here. You know, we're not supposed to let Chris ever say the word trickster ever again on the show because the critics are out there saying he does it every single episode, which, of course, he does, and I did. But mm-hmm. we don't want to get into that. Seriously speaking here, doesn't it also present difficulty with a lot of these private UFO organizations that sometimes go off the rails and I'll give an example of the problems that MUFON has had. You know, a lot of serious people, scientists are involved there, but they've had issues with that change of directors, a claim of financial irregularities. The fact the last MUFON convention featured a couple of woo-woo people. Is it possible for civilian organizations of that to fill the gap? Can they fill the gap? Have they filled the gap? You mean uh, some other organizations other than MUFON? And that, that I mean? kind of organization, is it possible to work within that purview? I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, even the best civilian organization, and in my opinion, that uh, NARCAP, National Aviation Reporting Center sure. on Anomalous Phenomena, is an outstanding organization run by Dr. Richard Haynes. Um, but again, they have the same issue. They, they certainly get some good work done at NARCAP, but it's, they have no funding. 
Um, but um, I think, you know, and, and Dr. Haynes recognizes, too, I mean, the limitations that a civilian group faces on investigating any case is simply the access of data. Um, for a civilian to get information, you know, you've got to go through the Freedom of Information Act. You may or may not get it. You get it months later. If you have a government official that can walk into O'Hare Airport the day after an event happens, that person can demand instantaneous access to any kind of information they want, they need. It's all provided. And, um, you know, all the radar from all the different various stations around and interviews, they can get access to interviews with every employee, regardless of what United Airlines has to say about it. This is our government stepping in. Now, a civilian group can't do that. They just don't have that kind of access. And I think that's really the crux of the reason why we need a government agency to be active on this issue is because if, assuming that they have the right intentions, that they're going to do the job properly, that they're going to make everything public and all the things that we would hope for, they can go in immediately and get the data that's needed to properly investigate a case, and a civilian group can't. It's just that simple. Hmm. We have Leslie Kane. Once again, her book is called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Go on the record, paperback edition available now. You can still get the traditional hardcover. It's available in an ebook version, and then there's that documentary on the History Channel, Secret Access UFOs on the Record. Going to ask a few more questions. We have a few more moments to spare with Leslie Kane. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Congratulations to our friends at eFoodsDirect.com. 
In August, they celebrate 30 years in the long-term storable food business. To celebrate, eFoodsDirect.com is offering the lowest price ever on their one-year freedom food supply, even less than the price in 1981. For a limited time, you get 30% off a one-year freedom supply, which provides three hearty meals per day for one adult. The freedom supply includes a large variety of fruits and vegetables, dairy, legumes, grains, sprouting seeds, and more. Plus, you get a generous supply of their quick fix meals. This is the most complete, extensive, and affordable unit they have ever offered. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex and get 30% off a one-year food supply. If you have ever considered getting a supply, now is the time. Call 800-409-5633. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can't argue with success. And many people have found great success in fighting back colds and flu viruses with Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. So now, it's time to get even more success with the other great quality natural products from Affinity Health Products. Like C Energy Liquid Vitamins, Lose and Snooze, and the One Day Diet. Or Human Growth Hormone Support, Menopause Specialist for Women, and Joint Specialist. See these and many other quality Affinity Health products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y HealthProducts.com. Or call in your orders at 877-888-7126. That's 1-877-888-7126. Trust your health to the makers of Alley C, the world's best garlic extract. Affinity Health Products, the finest and most innovative natural health products available. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. All right, I just wanted to mention this for a moment. As the episode progresses, every time the episode proceeds, that Chris O'Brien's statement, the Paracast, gets deeper and deeper. We noticed that, right, Chris? Yeah, how low can you go? Leslie Kane joining us, wondering what all this guff is about. Now, from what you're describing here, a government agency that would investigate UFOs, it kind of sounds like bringing back Project Blue Book. So is that the end game? Is that a possible end game? Well, I mean, obviously not. We don't want to repeat the many mistakes and problems that we're all aware of that, you know, went on with Project Blue Book. I mean, the ideal, you know, this is, again, just sort of an ideal scenario that we, myself and my colleagues have come up with, would be to have, you know, an organization that, and again, we're, we're just talking about something really small, but that will not try to cover up events by coming up with bogus explanations for them. But the whole premise is to investigate cases and be willing to acknowledge if something can't be explained, just as simply as that, to do a proper investigation and to make it public. And one way we would hope to make sure that this happens in the way that it should would be to have an outside advisory board 
composed of, you know, outstanding researchers and military people and people that care about this issue and know a lot about it to kind of guide this person and act as a resource for the person who's on the staff at this agency and also to assure that, to sort of oversee it and assure that things are done properly and that information is made public. I mean, I think, you know, we're in a different time right now. I don't imagine a scenario in which we'd get an agency that, you know, the whole point of it would be really is, is to do it differently. And if we're just going to have an agency that's going to do what the FAA did at O'Hare, which is to tell us that it was a weather phenomenon, it's just pointless. I'm thinking in terms of the announced goal of Project Blue Book, say at the time that Captain Edward Ruppel headed it for, what, two years or something like that? It mm-hmm. seemed then to be a pretty serious, straightforward organization. Yes, it became a public relations arm later on where they did nothing but simply debunk everything. But don't you think Ruppel tried to do the right thing? Yeah, and certainly in the beginning, I guess the focus was really on, you know, national security issues. Certainly the goals were, um, you know, to try to learn more about it and everything. I mean, but we're many, many years now forward from that. So I suspect that the framing of it would be different today. Yeah. The framing of it is today we don't believe our government at all. I mean, Congress has, what, a 10% approval rating. We don't believe anything in the government. If the government announced tomorrow... The E.T. is here. They come from Zeta Reticuli, I guess is where Stan Friedman would suggest they come from. If they they said that today, we would say, sure, right. All right. That's probably true. We'd have to have some pretty good proof, wouldn't we? Good old Barack Obama showing up hand in hand with a little gray, you know, saying, I I want to introduce uh, my friend Mixel Smorp. A lot of people wouldn't believe it. Well, they think it was a guy in a costume like at the Fife Symington press conference during the Phoenix Lights. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, the hubris. <laughs> and then to have him yeah. come forward and, and contribute to your book saying, I actually did see it. I know. I think him. it's an amazing transformation. I, I love the uh, story. I think it's a really fascinating story of his whole saga. Yeah. yeah. What but is he doing today, Fife Symington? You know, he travels a lot. He's basically retired. He run, He's founded a culinary school in um, Phoenix, Arizona, right. which he's involved with. He's sort of a venture capitalist type. So therefore, uh, because I live in the Phoenix area and Chris lives in Arizona, we can come down here and have him cook us dinner. Well, you, yeah, you should find out. Where, if, I think his culinary institute has a like a restaurant. Oh, Yeah, right. I mean, he's, he's really into to that, being a chef and everything. And, and we were filming him in Phoenix for the... Uh, documentary for the History Channel, you know, we were out in the park where he originally saw the object and these people came up to him who knew him from the school. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's quite a sort of well-known person in, in that area, not just for having been governor, but for that culinary school. So he's a man of many talents. He's still a flies too he ha- he owns a, a plane and he flies he has a home in santa barbara as well as in phoenix so he's uh lives a good life and uh i know he does travel a great deal and he doesn't make saucer burgers <laughs> i don't know what he makes i think it's pretty sophisticated whatever it is uh, if you check out the the restaurant sometime i'd be curious chris when you're down here in phoenix let's look him up if we can find he's in town maybe do an interview with him that would be fun yeah venture capitalist maybe he'll fund my uh, camera project if he's a venture capitalist, okay, I'm going to ask that question, Leslie. Can yeah, he I mean, get I don't your know money? That's quite the word, actually, but you know, he he has business interests. Let's put it that way. But maybe venture capitalist is too strong a, a description for it. So he can't get your money for research. <laughs> I don't think so. He knows he knows the score, and he hasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe if he was approached us for something specific, who knows? I can't speak for mm-hmm. him. Hmm. There I'm you go, Chris, notes. and get fund your research. I still well, think we should go to Paul Allen, Warren Buffett. Bill Gates, even Steve Jobs, and ask them to write a few checks. I think miracles could happen if they did it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, or George Soros's twenty-eight-year-old girlfriend. Okay, yeah, he's got several billion. He could fund I it. I think also. she's got fifty million of it now, or is going to, based on some headline I saw. But hey, hey, funding of these projects, uh, I think even ten years ago would have been almost unobtainable to actually have a hard data monitoring process be funded. But now I think uh, you know, as I stated before, the technology has come down in price, and I think it's it's eminently doable for a private organization. To be in a position to get unassailable, you know, wonderful scientific data that just cannot be, you know, just giggled away like uh, most sightings are in this day and age of Photoshop and so many hoaxes we're dealing with. So it's not out of the realm of reason to expect that a private effort such as that could get funded and could actually come up with unassailable data. I think that's, to me, that's the clear choice of a path forward in this whole thing. As a, yeah, a two-pronged approach. Yeah, I, mean, I was and, so excited and then, by your, your description earlier of, of having the gear, and I know other people, too, that have developed very sophisticated photographic gear. And if we can just get enough people doing that, you know, eventually you're right. We're going to capture some data that will then expand the uh, the interest in the subject. So I, I agree with you. I think it's a absolutely fantastic way to proceed, and I, I wish you It would be a great help to you. It would be a great help for your effort. Absolutely. So I, I get, you say you're, you're doing it. Data. Yeah. Well, I hope you capture that data. Yep. Well, that's uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> He'll great. let you know as soon as he lets me. You're the second person on the well, speed dial. I'd be honored. Okay. You'd be number two on the speed dial. I have to be number one because otherwise he's fired. But other than that, we'd like to have it. Now, the book is called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. The paperback version is available. Leslie, in the remaining minute or two left, can you tell our listeners what they could do to advance the cause of UFO research to get that serious interest at long last? Well, I think, you know, we've, I mean, all the different things we've been talking about during the show have sort of related to that question of, you know, possibly writing to their representatives if they can do it in a way that uses the right kind of language to, you know, reach these people who don't know anything about the subject matter, not to make claims about it, um, and just to support efforts such as the one Chris is talking about, um, to try to just spread the word around and, and try to keep stay very level-headed headed about it, not to assume that we know what the UFOs already are, but that to remember the approaches that we need the help of the scientific community and of the U.S. government in order to solve the problem. And I think if we can take that approach, it, it appeals to the status quo in a way that other approaches just haven't and won't. So... Um, you know, I, I don't know. You know. Each person can do what they can do within their own sphere of influence. And, you know, whether it be also influencing their local newspapers to, you know, write something about it or write letters to the editor. I mean, um, I don't know. Everybody can, you know, can make their own choices about it. But I think um, we just have to all keep doing our best to try to elevate the discussion. And, and we talked about the, the problem with the, the conferences, you know, to try to clean up those conferences as best we can. Leslie, can you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you if they want to contact you and get more information? Yeah, if, sure. If you go to my website, which is ufosontherecord.com, that's ufosontherecord.com. Um, it's basically the, the website about my book. Um, and there's a, oh, you can reach me through that website. There's a, a comment, you know, an email system set up there where you can send me an email. Also on Facebook, I have a very active Facebook page. 
which is an open page, and I um, love to hear from people there as well. So either way, I really enjoy hearing from people who, have, who are reading the book or who have an interest in this. Um, so I hope people will get in touch. And by the way, you can find Chris's stuff, Chris O'Brien's stuff, OurStrangePlanet.com, and also a link to buy that new documentary about disclosure. From me and Chris to Leslie Kane, thanks for joining us this week on yeah, The Paracast. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>